Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? This past week, there have been two interlinked things on my mind. One, the Oscar ceremony was last week, and there was an absurd thing where I was sitting with my parents in front of the TV watching the news, and they're talking about the terrible COVID situation in India, and it was the explosion in the COVID wing of the hospital in Iraq. And then I went to bed, and like my Instagram feed was flooded with pictures of overprivileged, mediocre actors stuffed into ridiculously expensive gowns putting on a ridiculous show. And something about it just felt so terrible and absurd to me. And then just before that, for those of you who aren't in Germany, a group of high-profile German actors came together and each one of them recorded a short video mocking the current lockdown situation and corona guidelines in Germany. And I guess that it was supposed to be satire. They were trying to exaggerate to make a point, but it felt very tactless because most of them are super successful actors who have been working through this entire pandemic. And it felt like a punch in the face to all of the actually struggling culture institutions. And it has been rightfully criticized within the media. And also a lot of right-wing people express their support for it, which is how you know you've done something wrong. What was the point that they were trying to make exactly? It, it flew over my head. I, I don't understand. It was called Alles dicht machen, which means close it all down. They each recorded a video, which was then posted on this website, which is Alles dicht machen, on which they basically were saying, the lockdown rules aren't hard enough. Close everything down even more. The idea was to criticize the current lockdown regulations by pretending like they weren't hard enough. But I still don't understand what the point is exactly because so they're making fun of people who are asking for because a lot of people in germany are asking for stronger lockdowns so we can finally just get out of this situation that we're in so they're making fun of those people or i don't think that was their intention but i think that's how it came across their thought process however misguided it was in the end was to draw attention to the fact that the arts and culture is suffering so by exaggerating, by being like, we should lock things down even more, they were trying to draw attention to it. But yeah, you have a very confused look on your face. And this is the look that in the entire country have because everybody was like, what? What's interesting is that they were saying that culture is suffering. And this is really true because we know a lot of artists and performers who are really struggling right now. But the spokesperson for the Union of Actors also had a very interesting thing to say about it. Yeah, he was on the news last weekend. He basically made the point, he was like, yeah... There is a problem when it comes to the arts and the culture. There are theater actors who haven't been able to perform in how many months. Small theaters losing money. It feels almost ridiculous for these really famous German actors to put themselves in the spotlight and to draw attention to themselves to be like, we're suffering, this is bad. When most of them have worked. A lot of them were like Tatort actors like Jan-Josef Liefers, Heike Makac, who a lot of you will know because she was in love actually. They were pulling the focus on themselves and making this all about them is not the way to solve this. Yeah, I know an opera singer who, if you're a woman in opera, because it's completely sexist, cut off date for when you have to do auditions and go into certain productions and things like that. And they've now lost, like, she's lost two years and her voice is at its peak right now. So that's going to be, for her career, detrimental. And the opera singers obviously trained for years and years. For those people, it's really tough. 
It reminds me of what you were saying, though, about them drawing attention to themselves about this TikTok video that we just watched, where a guy is pretending to be a celebrity and he's saying, well, I'm raising awareness. I'm putting more attention on myself to raise awareness about this issue so that other people can see and do something about this issue. Not me. I'm just raising awareness about this issue so somebody else can do something about it. It kind of reminded me of the beginning of the pandemic where all these celebrities were calling for donations and stuff for health workers and frontline staff and people were like, um, do you have a mirror? Especially with very commercially successful actors. You could see, we have talked about Gal Gadot in our Gal Gadot episode where she sings John Lennon's Imagine and it makes Rena want to puke so we won't talk about it for too long. And all this, we're in this together and you're like, no, we're not in this together because you can have corona tests go on vacation together you can go to your private islands ellen degeneres was talking about we're all in in this together and she's isolating but in her multi-million dollar mansion so they are very cut off from the rest of us and i feel like the oscars was interesting because the oscars this year the people who watched was 58 percent lower than last year which is massive And viewership of the Oscars has been going down year on year, but this is really the biggest drop. It's the lowest rated Oscars ever. One of the reasons could be because of COVID. Obviously, we do need entertainment and we do need that kind of magic and escapism of the Oscars and Hollywood, I guess, and entertainment in general. And obviously in this pandemic, a lot of us have been watching our screens but it's been the small screens and maybe we've forgotten also that collective experience of all watching one film and discussing that film like now we're just watching whatever interests us and I think that this has been a trend in general where because of Netflix because of the amount of content out there it's no longer just a few studios producing films and it's reflected in the Oscars too because this was the most diverse Oscars ever Nomadland won, which was by a female director of colour, the first female director of colour ever to win Best Picture, which is incredible in 2021. And also shows how far the Oscars have actually come since, was it 2015 or 2016, when the Oscars So White was trending? So maybe they're addressing that. Is there one academy that defines quality anymore? We're all deciding for ourselves in our own circles, our own fandoms what we like. We were discussing this in the sense that when did the Oscars ever actually reward movies for being artistic and great? Obviously, every now and then there is a really good movie that wins Oscars. Parasite, last year, watch it. Absolutely. But should we applaud an archaic award for being progressive or being more diverse when in and itself it has no value anymore. The Oscars are irrelevant, but yet somehow we still hold them up as the pinnacle of artistic achievement, right? You said to me, you said, yeah, but all these amazing women who have won these awards, they're going to have Academy Award winner in front of their name, and that holds prestige, and so they're going to get more jobs, or they've got the recognition they deserve. And they get paid more. And they get paid more. But the institution that is giving them recognition is ridiculous and outdated. How do we deal with that? We need to get rid of the Oscars because they're ridiculous, but they still carry weight. But I think it's fine because it's clear that 58% drop in viewership just shows that it is becoming less relevant. I think it will still be quite a while 
before they lose their relevance because it's been such a massive establishment. But clearly it is. Also, not just the Oscars, all awards are kind of coming under fire. The Grammys have ignored The Weeknd, who was the most downloaded artist of last year. The Golden Globes came under fire for giving a Golden Globe to Emily in Paris, which is just ridiculous. Ridiculous, it's a ridiculous show. And even a writer on Emily in Paris released a statement saying, I worked on this show and it should not have won an award. It's being increasingly seen that these awards are subjective and political and they're not the standard in taste or anything like that. Which is very interesting because in the media, there's been this big discussion or debate over what is Hollywood? Is it a platform for politics or is it about movies? And it's always been about politics. It's just been about supporting the status quo. Just because they gave the award for Best Picture to Nomadland, why does that question come up now? It's strange to me that all these articles are talking about the Oscars being under some sort of a identity crisis. They're trying to do good, but then they're also trying to ha- be entertainment. It's kind of ignoring the fact that it's always been like that. Yeah, so it's kind of tradition in the Oscars for when people give their acceptance speech to draw attention to a cause they care about. And this goes back to the TikTok, right? It's some overprivileged, mediocre actor standing on stage drawing awareness to a cause so that we can all applaud them for drawing awareness. Margarita from This Fair Force posted something really interesting on Instagram this week. I highly recommend you all go check out her Instagram, where she said that using your privilege for good is still a form of being privileged. And I think that's exactly what the Oscars, isn't it? You have a group of people who, Miley Cyrus sending a homeless teen to accept her award, or Marlon Brando sending a Native American to accept his award. There's this thing where you're like, "Mm, I see, like, I guess you're trying to do something good, but are you really hitting the mark? Is this the best way to do it? You're raising awareness, eh, but in the end, is this about teen homelessness? Is this about the genocide of the native population of America, or is it about you? Yeah, it's a difficult one, because Marlon Brando sending a Native American, I think, is still sort of powerful. Yeah? Yeah, because I recognize the mass audience of just who watches the Oscars, and it might influence their thinking or their perspective a bit. Yeah, not that I ever want to give a man more credit than a woman, thinking Miley Cyrus versus Marlon Brando. But Marlon Brando was kind of doing it in a different time where there wasn't social media. It was harder to get a message out. So I can see how his statement or his act might be a bit more powerful in the context of the time. And Marlon Brando, as a white man who is seen as the American man's man, I don't know, he has a certain persona and a certain appeal to a certain audience. I think other white men really identify with him. He is a different of a different age, and he has a different appeal, and he holds sway with a different demographic, which can be powerful. One of the things that's happened also recently, which I think really influences this urge to watch these big celebrities and the urge getting less and less, is our switch to micro-influencers. So people who are kind of like us, but... We can aspire to be like them. People with maybe a million followers or less. Because they're real people. They live lives that we can kind of relate to. Their influence to sell stuff has grown. There's just been a dispersion of influence 
in culture, I think, from these big, massive actors to just everyone. I think relatability has a lot to do with the decrease in popularity of the Oscars, because the films that Hollywood are making, not as diverse as a lot of the content out there. I feel like everyone wants to see themselves or their lives somehow reflected in the stories they see. Well, we were talking about this before when we were saying if we watch a movie and all the characters are men, we're both just like, meh, I don't care, I can't really watch this, not relatable. Yeah, and this is still a problem in movies. There is, of course, the famous Bechdel test that was made up by Alison Bechdel, who is a cartoonist and graphic novelist. And the Bechdel test is basically that a film has to reach three criteria. One is that it has to have at least two female characters who speak to each other about something besides a man for longer than 30 seconds right and it was actually designed as a joke (laughs) about the lack of female representation in fiction but actually it really captured the public imagination that was a website and you see that a load of films just do not meet this at all you should all go check out feminist frequency anita sharkeesian she does this thing where every year she looks at the oscars and applies the bechdel test and all of them always fail and it's not just about having two women characters who talk to each other in a film a recent report from the university of southern california's annenberg inclusion initiative a think tank studying diversity in the arts found that just 33.1 percent of speaking roles in 2018's 100 top grossing films went to women so they speak less in films a lot of films that are made by the mainstream favor men because men are in power and it's reflected in their choices in their production choices in the directing in the type of stories they want to see made and therefore the type of films that they make about the bechdel test And of course, it's pathetic that a lot of movies don't even hit that mark. In one of her videos, Anita Sharkeesian actually points out that, for example, Midnight in Paris, the Woody Allen movie with Owen Wilson, actually passes the Bechdel test because there's a scene where Rachel McAdams and the actress playing her mother are in a vintage shop and they discuss a chair for like 30 seconds. And so they pass the Bechdel test. But I think that just reiterates the point of how terrible representation for women are in films if a Woody Allen film can pass the Bechdel test. Also, interesting fun fact, most Shakespeare plays pass the Bechdel test. And recently there's been a new test introduced called the Riz test, named after Riz Ahmed, the British actor. And basically, it's a test that measures the portrayal of Muslims on film and TV. The test takes inspiration from his 2017 speech in the House of Commons on diversity in screen. The RIS test is five criteria to measure how Muslims are portrayed on film and television. If the film or show stars at least one character who is identifiably Muslim by ethnicity, language, or clothing, is the character 1. Talking about, the victim of, or the perpetrator of terrorism. 2. Presented as irrationally angry. 3. Presented as superstitious, culturally backwards, or anti-modern. 4. Presented as a threat to modern way of life. 5. If the character is male, is he presented as a misogynist? Or, if female, is she presented as oppressed by her male counterparts? If the answer for any of the above is yes, then the film and TV show fails the test. So this just shows that there is a massive problem within the film industry 
not just for women, but for all marginalized groups. And the bar is very low. I think that's why Hollywood is losing influence because Netflix has taken over and Netflix is making shows like Orange is the New Black. Dear White People, they've contracted Shonda Rhimes to make a lot of TV. And TV has become really, really good recently in the last decade or so. It's been raised to the level of film. And so big movie business has lost a lot of attention and an influence and money to those other productions. And then the other thing is that the Oscars are supposed to highlight and celebrate films that have a kind of artistic quality. But if you look at what all the big studios in Hollywood are doing, most of it is sequels and prequels. So if we look at the number of original movies made versus movies from non-original IP, a Reddit user called Spicer2 dug into the data from Box Office Mojo and calculated the proportion of original movies among the 50 highest grossing films worldwide from 1978 to 2019. And on this graph, you can see in 1978, the number of sequels and prequels and parts of franchises basically made up, I would say, about one-seventh of movies made. In 2019, it was way above half, I would say about 65% or so. And that's just been going up and up and up. And the reason that's been going up is just because something was a success in the past. It has a following and it's guaranteed to make money again. But it doesn't mean that it's artistically good. So also Netflix and other smaller creators are taking over that space. And you can kind of see that reflected in the diversity of this year's Oscars too. The Netflix thing is interesting because Netflix can afford to make niche content. And when I say niche content, I'm not talking about diversity. I mean just actually niche content for niche interests. Because one, they're not reliant on advertisers. And two, they already have your money. So if you don't like it, you're not going to watch it, but you're still going to pay your Netflix subscription which also means that they can make diverse content as well as niche content, and they can kind of take risks on new up-and-coming people or not-so-well-known directors or stars and stuff, and they can just really dig into topics that major studios won't. And since, you know, streaming services are becoming the future... Yeah, and then the idea of going to a cinema and sitting in a big dark room with a big screen is no longer relevant because Netflix just releases a movie and watch it on your laptop. So it does kill that mm-hmm. idea a little bit. And then plus into the space, Apple TV plus is moving into the space. Disney is in the space, the streaming space. Amazon Studios, Jeff Bezos has a lot of money. Apple also has a lot of money to spend, whereas the traditional studios don't. It's a little bit like the internet killed the movie business. I found it really interesting recently when Disney launched, they've started putting content warnings on all their old films. Mm. Did you read this? They put a content warning of racism on in classic films. So, for example, the Siamese cats in Lady and the Tramp perpetuate anti-Asian stereotypes. I think it would be pretty hard to find a Disney movie that is not in some way racist. Like, just think of Peter Pan and the portrayal of Native Americans in that. I mean, that's interesting, but what would be really good is if they put a sexism label on everything. Because that would be every single Disney movie until Frozen. And Frozen was very smart. I saw it on the plane after flying for seven hours or so. And it was the last film I saw. And I was crying on the plane. And the air hostess came to give me my food. And I was just so embarrassed. I was watching a kid's movie. (laughs) (laughs) Falling. Anyway. 
But there's this really funny bit in Frozen where she meets a guy and she's like, I'm in love. And then her sister is like, what, you just met a guy? Like, he could be anyone. He could be a serial killer, a psychopath. Those are not the exact words, but I mean, that's what's happened in every single Disney movie until that point. And then they start to question the healthiness of that message. Mm. I don't know if that's Disney getting hip with the times. Or if that's Disney realizing that its audience is changing and that they can no longer peddle their old sexist, racist stereotypes. I mean, maybe it's both. I think the writers are probably people who are questioning this sort of narrative. I mean, not everyone who works for Disney. I think great people work for Disney and great storytellers work for Disney and they just know that it doesn't make sense in terms of story, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's how change happens, right? They recognize that their audience is changing and that they have to change with the times. Yeah, so times are a-changing. And on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, all this talk of entertainment aside, you might have seen that India is in a dire situation regarding COVID-19 and they have no oxygen, no beds and supplies, and a lot of people are be suffocating to death. We will compile a list of places you can donate to. One place that I'll mention here is feedingindia.org, where you can donate oxygen to hospitals and patients. Thing two, try to only watch movies that have passed the Bechdel test. You can check online. And when you're watching those movies, keep the risk test in the back of your mind. Also, look for the portrayal of other marginalized groups. And thing three, movie theatres, especially independent small ones, are struggling in the pandemic. So when this is all over, don't forget the beauty and the pleasure of sitting in a room with different people and having a shared experience when you watch a movie on a beautiful big screen. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like... You can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.